0: You have two options in front of you. Which will you choose? It's time for another edition of the Carrington Hypothetical Button
3: Game. Welcome back on the drive. My name is Carrington Harrison. This is the question that I'm asking you guys. If you could press a button right now and make one of these two individuals fully healthy... Who would you press the button for? Would you press it for Joe Tooney or would you press it for Willie Gay? Let me give you the update on both of those two players from Adam Schefter of ESPN. Chiefs Pro Bowl guard Joe Tooney will not practice today due to his pec injury. And in the words of one source, he is unlikely to play on Sunday against the Ravens. But as another source also said, he is going to work like crazy to play. At Pro Football Doc, Dr. David Chow, they have already ruled joe tooney out based on the kind of injury that we that he has so i would say as of now it is doubtful that he is going to play didn't practice today you're hearing from some medical people that he's not going to adam Schefter, who you know is as well sourced as anybody in the national football league says that he is unlikely to play from jeremy fowler of uh, of also of espn Looks like Wendy Willie Gay is trending upward. Sources said that his x-ray revealed no major damage, but he also uh, was limited today in practice. So I actually feel pretty confident that Willie Gay is going to be able to play in this game, far less confident in Joe Tooney's ability to play. All right. I give you the opportunity right now to press the button. Rob, would you press the button for Willie Gay to be 100% healthy in this game? Or would you press the button for Joe Tooney to be healthy in this game? I pressed the button for Willie Gay for a couple of different reasons. We know that Baltimore is going to run the football. They ran for more yards than any team in the National Football League. So you're going to have to protect against the RPO, whether it's Lamar handing it off or Lamar keeping it for himself. So I think stopping the run they also have two very good tight ends and they are getting Mark Andrews back for the first time since week 11. I don't think that Mark Andrews is going to have a great day, but if you add an extra five catches for 60 yards in this game, that's a pretty significant addition at this point in the season for a player that you basically haven't had the second half of the season. I think in this individual game, Willie Gay is more important. And I think that you can sort of manage around not having Joe Tooney in this game. Now, he is your best offensive lineman. And the interior of the offensive line is maybe one of the stronger units on the team. I think you can work around that just a little bit with Creed Humphrey, with your left tackle, Donovan Smith, who played really well on Sunday against the Buffalo Bills. I think you can manage not having Joe Tooney. If I had to press the button on one of them, I would press the button to have Willie Gay 100%. I understand the logic. I truly do. But in the second half
4: of the Bills game with Willie Gay not on the field, the Chiefs defense was able to curtail the Josh Allen runs. And that was done largely with Nick Bolton, everyone's favorite, Drew Tranquil, and Leo Chennault. When Willie Gay was on the field in the first half, before he got hurt, Josh Allen was running like wildfire. Steve Spagnuolo adjusted. So I'm going to take Joe Tooney as the player they need to be healthy for a couple reasons. One, I just stated they were okay in the second half without Willie Gay against Josh Allen. I know Josh Allen's a different style of runner, but let's be honest, he's a running quarterback the same way Lamar Jackson is. And two, there are too many smart people in the NFL sphere that tell me the key to the Chiefs' success is up front when they play well. Mitchell Schwartz has said it. His brother, Jeff Schwartz, on social media has said it. I've heard Patrick Mahomes say in press conferences, when we play well up front, we are a different team. You'll remember that Raiders game, the game where Jeff Schwartz came on the show and said, Mahomes just isn't throwing to MVS. He's open, just not throwing to him. One of the things he stated was, early in the game, Mahomes lost confidence in his O-line and got a little trigger happy, threw the ball too quick, and it just was downhill from there. If you are taking the best offensive lineman off the field for the Chiefs, that is a problem. If you're taking the success they've had in the run game because their best blocker is coming off the field, that is concerning to me. I know there's a viral clip going around where Nick Allegretti in the last play of the Bills game makes a great block and the Chiefs win. Super, I need more than a one-game sample size. Joe Tooney is the Chiefs' best offensive lineman, period. The key to success on the offense is by dominating on the offensive line. And if you have your best offensive lineman, you are in a better chance to win. I will take healthy Joe Tooney on Sunday over healthy Willie Gay.
3: I've got a question here before we're joined in studio by our guy Mitchell Schwartz. He's going to be on the show here coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Do you think that people have lost confidence in Nick Bolton? Because there was like a two-year stretch there where Nick Bolton felt like he was one of the five most popular players on the team. It feels like there is a Drew Tranquil wave that is really starting to emerge. Allow me to defend Nick Bolton just a little bit here. Hasn't been fully healthy this season for basically the entire year. And if I had to ask you, give me an offense that they have played since the last Super Bowl that most resembles Philadelphia's. Wouldn't you say it's Sunday against the Baltimore Ravens in that game? Who made their biggest defensive plays? Couldn't you argue it was Nick Bolton in that game? Nick Bolton is not a great coverage linebacker, but he is a C ball hit ball individual. Is there any better team to play in that scenario than the Baltimore Ravens? Like I kind of feel like we have now forgotten about Nick Bolton. And I, I'm not here saying that Drew Tranquil hasn't played well. Drew Tranquil has played incredibly well. But I kind of feel like people have forgotten about Nick Bolton and the plays that he has made when he has been healthy and he was how, and how he has been a tackle machine. And in a game like this against a team that is going to try to throw over the middle of the field, so we're not talking about outside the hash marks or down the field, this is Nick Bolton area. This is Nick Bolton territory. You're telling me everything's going to be 10 yards and in and at the line of scrimmage. I feel really good about Nick Bolton in this game. Can I ask you a question? Wasn't the Bills
4: game, sea ball hit ball because the Bills rushed the ball 39 times. Yeah, they did. 39 times for 182 yards. I know you love
3: your yards per carry. So I'll give it to you. I'm a big, you know, I'm a big yards per carry guy. You that love matters.
4: it. You love it the way you love Cam at Auburn. 4.7 yards per carry from the Bills. I understand everyone talks about, oh, the Ravens rush the ball different. They, they have a running quarterback. The Bills had a running quarterback. The Bills game, most of the first half, third and fourth quarter, was C ball, hit ball. Nick Bolton was on the field. 182 rush yards, 4.7 yards per carry. I have no doubt Nick Bolton is battling an injury and has been not right all year round. I know that he still has that air cast looking thing on one of his wrists from his injury this season. Football's a game of attrition. I understand all those things but I feel like you're doing a little bit of excuse-making for Nick Bolton when he has not been the same player this year he was last year. I'm not saying he'll never find that again, I know, but I know. mean, this season
3: he's not that guy. I'm not here saying that about Nick Bolton. I 100% agree with you. There's no denying that he has had a down year, Not, not none at all. He hasn't been healthy really at any point this season. Nick Bolton played in 88 eight games this year. He hasn't been healthy. He was substantially worse this year than he was last year. He had 180 tackles last year, had nine tackle for losses. He was significantly worse this year than I thought than he was last season. In a game like this in which you were talking about helping stop the run, I, I think Nick Bolton has a chance of being – it's. We're, very weird to say for a player who was named to the Pro Bowl this year, he has a chance to be an X factor in this game and a guy that can potentially step in here and I think play really well in this game. Really quick question, I just I, let's throw this out there. This guy has texted us in like for the last three weeks and I haven't answered it. Let's answer it now. See, dot. I have a better hypothetical for you. You can press the button for a guaranteed Chief Super Bowl, but Andy retires at the end of the season, or you can let it play out and guarantee that he comes back next year. Is there anybody that wouldn't press the button? I of course you press the button for a guaranteed Chiefs Super Bowl. You win three. Hold on, hold on. But that, but you Andy's done right, and that yeah. one, no. You take Andy Reid. Andy Reid's going to get a third no matter what. Let me ask you this: Do you think the Patrick Mahomes is Tom Brady? Well, yeah, I saw Tom he, Brady win a Super Bowl with Bruce Arians. Do you think he's Peyton Manning? Because I've seen Peyton Manning go to the Super Bowl with John Fox, Gary Kubiak. It ain't like they hiring some rum-dum to quote our guy Bob Fesco. They ain't hiring him to be the next head coach. If Andy Reid retires at the end of the season, it will be the most desirable coaching opening in the history of the National Football League. Give me a time in which you could take over a team with a 28-year-old quarterback who is coming off his third Super Bowl. This would be like if Belichick retired After the 2009 season. (laughs) Yeah. I absolutely. Yes. I take Andy. We have three in four years. Congratulations. It's a dynasty. You retire. You move up to the front office and then we go find another head coach. And Andy is incredible. Don't get me wrong. Didn't we just play this game with the Patriots on who is greater, the coach or the quarterback? And didn't we see that the answer is you take the quarterback and then you can figure everything else out? They have Patrick Mahomes on their team. Andy was great. Andy was doing it before. Andy, you guys keep talking about Phillip Rivers. Guess who Andy was before Patrick Mahomes showed up? He kept losing in big games. Did he not? He was Josh Allen, his head coach. And then he got Patrick Mahomes. And now we think he could maybe be the greatest coach ever. Yes. Come on now. Everybody knows this. You take the guaranteed Super Bowl and then you figure it out. So, yes, I press the button and I take the Super Bowl. And then you know what? I go call Kyle Shanahan and say, Are you tired of losing? Well, then come coach Patrick Mahomes and you can finally win the Super Bowl. You tell me what you need to come coach the Kansas City Chiefs. Or I call Sean McVay. Or I go call Mike Vrabel. We could go in a lot of different directions. We have Patrick Mahomes as our quarterback. Coming up on the other side, we'll be joined in studio by all-pro right tackle Mitchell Schwartz. He'll join us next. Keep it right here. It's The Drive on 610 Sports Radio.
0: You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison. Remember to call from mom. Answer it.
5: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: <laughs> Kansas City is Justin reed. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app.
3: I can't think of a more perfect person to join us in studio to talk about this than former all-pro right tackle Mitchell Shorts. So I don't know if you saw the tweet or not, Mitch, but Chiefs Pro Bowl right guard. Our left guard, excuse me, Joe Tooney, will not practice today due to his pec injury and in the words of one source, is unlikely to play on Sunday against the Ravens. But as another source says, quote, he is going to work like crazy to play. That is from Adam Schefter of ESPN. If Joe Tooney can't play in the AFC Championship game, how big of a loss is that for Kansas City?
6: I think it's a decent loss. I mean, I am a big Nick Allegretti fan. I think he has Played good ball every time he's come in the last couple of years, he's filled in really admirably. If you, you know, watch that last run that we sealed the game with, uh, you know, he notices that three tech is spiking, he takes good footwork, he's able to, you know, kind of wrench him further inside than he wants to go, which is a, a tenant of the offensive line. If a guy's trying to go somewhere, you know, make him go further than he wants to go. And I think the biggest thing coming out of last week is Tooney came out, we kind of saw a oh, chest injury, or we're not sure what's going on. And then you didn't necessarily even know he was out of the game. Nick never got mentioned. No one ever spotlighted him. The O-line kept producing at a really good level. So uh, I think the competency is there. It Just Tooney is an all-pro, you know, one of the best left guards, if not the best left guard in the NFL. And so you're going to have a bit of a downgrade when you uh, get that guy out of the position. But I, I do like Nick a lot. I think he's got a good mentality, good physicality, and he should slot in there pretty nicely. And you know, as a guard, it's nice when you've got really good guys next to you, too. So you got Creed on one side, you got Donovan on the other, and uh, you're slotting into a good spot. That was my argument that you could sort of work around it. The Tooney's their best offensive
3: lineman. But I think you could work around not having him for this individual game. So we asked the question, if you could press the button and make one of the two players healthy, would you push it for Willie Gay or would you push it for Joe Tooney? I think Willie Gay is more important in this individual matchup because of who you're going up against
6: on the other side than Tooney is for this one game. So I think it depends on how much your plan revolves around spying Lamar. Now Lamar's interesting because everyone associates him with being a running quarterback. He is actually exceptional in the pocket and doesn't really run to break contain and to run the ball nearly as much as people think. And especially not as much as he did his first couple years. So he is more of a pocket passer than he is, you know, a guy who breaks contain. I think Allen's a guy who actually breaks contain more than, than um, Lamar does. And so is the plan going to be to either rush three and spy Willie, rush four and spy Willie, or have him part of the general third down package of what you want to do? Or is it going to be, you know, we're just going to kind of play traditional defense. We're going to you know run our blitzes, try to pick apart their protections. When we rush four, we're going to be really good about being gap sound. You know, we saw a couple times where guys were making inside moves last week and Allen was able to break contain and there wasn't the spy. So maybe, you know, they just tried to get inside when they shouldn't have. So, if Willie's a big part of that, and if he's the guy who's going to spy Lamar and be able to shut that part of Baltimore's offense down, then I think you take him. But if that's not the case, I think you take Tooney because the Ravens have really good players individually, uh, especially on the defensive line. I mean, the outside guys are older, and Van Noy and uh, Clowney, and both have almost career years. Uh, Clowney is a rusher for sure. Then you got, you know, Matt Abouke in the middle there, who's a really good player. But they do so much crazy stuff with those linebackers and the blitz packages. and They'll blitz a linebacker from one side. You know, you're a left guard. You're going against, say, a Chris Jones. And the linebacker who's lined up over the right guard blitzes across the formation and tries to pick your right shoulder as you're blocking your three technique. And then the Chris Jones guy loops over the top. And you have to, like, switch it off with a running back. And that's they can do that because they're so fast and they're so well coached. And the awareness, I I think, where a guy like Tooney is going to be the most missed is the awareness and the ability to play with all the other guys and to – Notice, you know, either at the snap, right before the snap, while the play's happening, oh, this thing's happening and I need to go make a play somewhere else or I'm needed in this other spot. And that's, I think, where you would like to have a guy like Tooney when you're facing a defense that is as multiple as they are uh, in their blitz packages on third downs and in their rush patterns. And if Baltimore is able to force us into those third down, um, you know, passing situations more than... Uh, the last couple teams we played have, then I think you do want a guy like Tooney.
3: So we had Mitch Holtis on the show on Monday, and I asked him, hey, what are you seeing on film from the Ravens? And he said, I see a team that doesn't have any weaknesses. When you've watched the Ravens so far this year, what have you seen from them? Where are they exceptionally strong at? Where do you think there's a possibility that Kansas City can exploit?
6: I mean, he's right, and you look at the advanced data, they're one of the best and most complete teams of all time, at least in terms of the DVOA stuff, if you're looking at it. And so, you know, you look at special teams, like we've got an exceptional kicker. They probably have the one guy who you could argue is better, Um, and their special teams in general has been, you know, exceptional this year. Uh, You look at quarterback, obviously, we've got the best situation, but you look at the entire package of the offense and you know, what Zay Flowers has done and what Odell's kind of brought them, if Andrews is back or not, what Lamar as a player can do schematically, what uh, Munkin has brought to that offense in terms of the ability to go three wides and kind of air it out. And now the offense is as, as complete as it's ever been, and they can still bring Ricardo in at fullback or tight end. They can still do the power run stuff. They can still do the option stuff, the read stuff, but now they can throw the ball, you know, more traditionally back to the way Lamar used to in college under Petrino. So, the offense is really well-rounded. It's been an O-line. Weirdly, I don't know if you know guys are still getting hurt or nicked up or they just like to rotate, but they've got guys rotating through, especially the tackle position. Every now and again, Ronnie Stanley comes out, Makari comes in, You know, then Morgan Moses comes out for a second or two, and Morgan Moses, right tackle, he's been unreal as a puller in space on toss plays, especially to the front side, so that's one to watch if he gets in space on our guys. And then all that being said, I think, the best part of their team is the defense, and they're good on every level. You know, Kyle Hamilton's that kind of Swiss Army knife in the back end that, you know, as Chiefs, we've been hearing about Derwin for five years, and I think Kyle Hamilton is actually the guy who's what people thought Derwin was going to be. Um, the two linebackers are the best pair of linebackers in the NFL for this season. The defensive line, they all have their roles, and so they're they're good individually at all the spots and then they play better as a unit than even the individual pieces because the coordinator's fantastic they can scheme it up you know probably this side of spags as good as anybody in the NFL so you're adding all those things together great players smart players aware players great scheme the ability to scout. You know all those things, and you're able to do that on all three in all three phases, and it just makes for a really formidable team.
3: A lot was made about Todd Munkin taking over as the offensive coordinator for Baltimore. What have you seen different in their offense now that they've added a couple more weapons? They went out, they drafted Zay Flowers, who I think has a chance to be a star in the league. I thought he had a really good rookie season, and with the change that they made it
6: at the OC. Well, it's just a, it's like a completely different offense. They still have the physicality of what they can do, like I was saying in the run game with Ricard. And, you know, with the big physical O-line was Zeitler, right guard. He's a dude who lifts like 18 times a week. He's so strong. And they, they can do all that stuff. You know, Lamar is the runner. They can, they can do that. But to open up, the, I think that was from the outside the thing that we always said, similar to what kind of the knock on San Francisco is, if Baltimore gets behind, can Lamar as the passer be a guy who leads comebacks and can he operate from a, you know, quote-unquote traditional Uh, pocket and and do all the things that uh, Peyton Manning would do, and now the offense features more of that earlier in drives, in possessions across the whole game, so they don't get into those third downs as much because they're not running the ball as much. They're able to throw it a lot more, and again, Lamar has always been good at this. You know, He got incorrectly labeled as, well, Polian labeled him as a wide receiver, but incorrectly labeled as a guy who likes to run that also can throw the ball a little. He's always been a good thrower. He played in the most pro-style offense in in college. And so um, now they're just combining his throwing strengths with all the other things that he can bring to the table in terms of the run game. And it's just a really well-rounded and really well-balanced offense. And, you know, This week, it's not going to be as fun to watch, but throughout the course of the season, it's been fun to watch. Right now, we're talking to all-pro right tackle
3: Mitchell Schwartz joining us in studio. Someone found whenever Mahomes was on the Manning cast, and he talked about the difficulty of playing at Baltimore and that they had to go to a silent count. Last week, we saw that Houston had six offensive line penalties. What is it about that place? What is it about that building that makes things difficult for offensive lines?
6: I mean, you should be going on silent count (laughs) whatever road stadium you're going to unless – you're going to L.A. And, and the fans are just, you know, kind of terrible. So you aren't going silent anywhere. I don't think Baltimore is going to be louder or more hostile than Buffalo was, especially these last few days, seeing what all the players have been saying about how they've been treated on the sidelines. So they're not going to have throw ball, snowballs being thrown at them. Did anybody ever hit you with the snowball when you were playing? No, we never really played in, like, a true snow game like that, and we never played in a stadium where it snowed enough that there was still snow in, in the stands. Um, so... I don't think it's going to be like a more hostile environment. And that was one of the things I was talking about before this Buffalo game. We have been a team that's been slow to get the play calls in, been slow to get to the line of scrimmage. Offensive tackles are jumping off sides. Guys aren't understanding where they're supposed to be aligned. That was my kind of big key for is the offense staying in rhythm and is the tempo good? And not one procedural issue. I mean, we took one timeout, But aside from that, not one procedural issue in Buffalo in this huge game and so I don't think there's going to be an issue uh, with how the team responds going to Baltimore. I think it's going to be a similar level of craziness. It's going to be an awesome environment to play football. It's a really fun stadium to play in. I mean, they kind of play into the whole Ravens theme and, and the darkness, and they turn the lights off when they get introduced. And, um you know, kind of makes you remember Ray Lewis coming out in the tunnel and all that. So really fun place to play, really cool place to play. It's going to be rocking as it should be for the championship game.
3: Right now, we're joined uh, in studio by Mitchell Schwartz. You and I are around the same age. You grew up in the Bay Area. So you heard all the stories about Rice and Montana and how great, you know, they were. How cool is it that Mahomes and Kelsey have more postseason touchdowns
6: than they did? It's pretty incredible. Um I grew up in L.A., My dad grew up an hour north of the Bay Area, so we were actually San Francisco 49ers fans. Um, So not, not, I mean, I don't really have, like, a rooting interest aside from the Chiefs, but my dad was always a Niners fan, so the Super Bowl that I played in was pretty cool for him to see, like, his home, his favorite team against the team his son was playing for. So, yeah, I mean, growing up, I was born in 89, so I didn't remember much or didn't catch much of the Montana era, but, you know, Steve Young and Rice and and T.O. and Jeff Garcia. And it is crazy when you just look at history like all the Jerry Rice stats if you take you know from age 34 to 44 he's like almost as productive as every other receiver is their entire career and you know Kelsey and Pat have been able to do that in five years and two games it's it's just wild because again this gets back to the magic of Pat the six straight AFC championship game appearances in six years as a starter and just how successful he's been as a quarterback and then obviously Travis has been the number one sidekick and you know, anytime you're, you're beating records of Rice, you're beating, you know, a Brady and Gronk record when they played nine or ten years together and had all those playoff runs, um, it really puts in perspective how special it is that they're doing this together in only five and a half years. How big or how,
3: how important do you think the bye week was? The pseudo-bye that they had at the end of the season where Kelsey didn't play, Mahomes didn't play, Pacheco didn't play, and you got that rest because I'm not sure if you get that version of Travis Kelsey if the Chiefs have to go play week 18 and all. Like, I it... it of all the players on the team, it feels like Kelsey got the biggest benefit of being able to get that rest so late in the season.
6: Yeah, it does seem to have played a, a big role. And you look at you know, playoff success and when it used to be two-by-teams, now it's one-by-team. Obviously, the teams that get the bye are the better teams, so they're more likely to win the games anyway. But that that always has historically been pretty important for the playoffs. So Travis does seem to have bounced back the best. I mean, Snead was one, too. He was questionable that week before in, in Week 17. I think it was against Cincy. I don't think he even practiced all week and still played. Most guys under Andy Reid, if you don't practice during the week in some capacity, you're not playing the game, and he was able to push through and and, and play. Um, as you said, Pacheco, who's, <laughs> I mean, there's no way every single game he doesn't feel terrible with how physical he runs. So, yeah, guys were able to bounce back nicely, and, you know, I think Trav does look a little more spry, a little more juiced. It also could just be playoff time, and, this team has kind of shown us maybe a little bit of a version of what we've seen with the Golden State Warriors where they had that incredible you know, 72-game season, didn't make it, signed a still prioritized the regular season, but everything was eyes on the playoffs. And it's, you know, Kerr talked about it a few times, that it's mentally draining to have to perform at that high of a level every single time, especially when everyone's coming for you. So I think maybe a new reality in Kansas City is just it's hard to take everyone's best shot for seventeen games and eighteen weeks every single time and perform at, you know, the playoff level that we're used to. This is a team now that's showing that they maybe can turn it up just a little bit come playoff time. There seems like there's like a lot of cool things, like the perks that come with
3: playing in the NFL. But like one of the cool things is they showed after the game and your Pat's like addressing the team. And he says, Hey, Buffalo asked for this. They wanted it. They got it. Like that moment of where it's just all of you in the locker room and you guys just went on the road and accomplished something. What is it like to be in the locker room for one of those moments?
6: That's the thing everybody misses when you stop playing. You can't replicate that, you know, anywhere else in your life. And so there's just that kind of shared feeling of accomplishment that you just did something, you know, in that particular moment, you know, kind of giving it back to Buffalo after, you know, I don't know if you want to call it a rivalry, but just what's been building over the last four years with that team, with the way the fans were and the way uh, they were treated in the stadium, it's just a—it's a really cool moment. It's you know I remember certain things about the Super Bowl and it's being on the bus right after the game and being on the plane after the game or flying back the next day. You know, remember about the AFC Championship game and you know, walking around the field and then what it was like in the locker room. So a lot of the times when you look back and remember. You know how was this as a player you're remembering those shared times of <laughs> of joy together and it's the plane rides back the bus rides back those locker room moments and those are the things that really just can't be replicated in other parts of life.
3: What is it like to grow up, you know, watching the Super Bowl and watching championship weekend and then going into the week knowing, hey, if we win this game, we go to the Super Bowl. Like, I know you were trained to, hey, every game's the same, take it one week at a time, but this game is different than any other football game that you've played in in your life leading up to it. What's the preparation like for the week? What's the build-up on a personal level getting ready to play such an important football game?
6: Yeah, I mean, there's more excitement there's more anxiousness there's more nervousness there's more importance to the game you're probably going up against better players so there's a little bit of that built in as well and I think I'm not gonna say scale it back but you almost do try to treat it like other games from a mentality perspective so that you don't get uh, overly stressed out you don't start doing things that you wouldn't normally do in other situations and you try to perform at the same level you have the entire year and you take that extra energy, that excitement, that anxiety, and you try to bottle it and use it for good instead of use it for bad. And that's something that, you know, the first time or two you go through it, you have to learn how to do that. You got to figure out what works for you, what doesn't. It's kind of the clutch theory in sports. Is our guys clutch, are they not? You know, theoretically, if you're not able to perform in big situations, you probably would have been weeded out uh, in high school or in college or at some point before getting to the highest level of professional sports. But, you know, guys handle pressure differently. And so finding that thing that you know kind of makes it more normal for you throughout the week is great for some guys it's i need to be more prepared i need to watch a little more film that makes me comfortable and if i've you know seen every play 14 times instead of 11 times you know i'll feel a little better sleeping at night and those guys watch more film some guys need to go home not look at football at all kind of turn it off if you got a wife kids whatever it is just have fun and you know do your thing so everyone has their own rhythm. And I do think trying to treat it as normal as possible, but understanding the gravity of the situation and balancing those two.
3: So earlier today, we did a draft where we only picked seafood items for Baltimore. You know, they're known for their seafood. So earlier today, Rob hit you up and said, you know, we're not going to have you do a draft. We just want your list, your five favorite seafood dishes slash items. Rob, hit our guy Mitch with a little bit of music here. I want your official list of these are my five favorite seafood dishes.
6: I like the music. I'm a little disappointed it's not Rob singing. We haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> Me but, too. Uh, you know, he could give us a nice fish related song. My first one's sushi. And, you know, if you want to go more specific, I'm a huge tuna fan. So, you know, spicy tuna rolls, spicy tuna hand rolls, whatever it is. I love California rolls as well. But, I tend to stick mostly if it's raw towards, you know, tuna or types of tuna. So for me it's it's got to be sushi. I feel like it's probably the most pure form of fish too. So if you're doing a favorite fish or seafood dishes, I mean that's you can't get any better than, you know, a beautiful piece of fish. So when you and the lady go out and get sushi, where do you go? We've kind of been trying to figure that out on town. It's a little bit difficult to find good sushi in the heart of the country. Makes sense. Um, sushi House is not bad um we've been there a few times i've been to was it raw sushi over by 801 in leewood uh, i've been to ica or i don't know if i'm pronouncing that correctly grill um they do some good stuff so I, I try to go out a little bit i mean i think i've been to blue sushi that's been good a lot of good stuff there's been nothing that's like completely blown me away but that's also understandable given where we are i, I do think if you go to the steakhouses they tend to have higher price and maybe better quality fish and so if you're getting you know a seafood appetizer or something raw from one of those places um that would be a way to go um and you know i, I order way too much <laughs> sushi when i go anyway so if you go to an expensive place you tend to not want to order as much so maybe uh, it limits the portions but my second i also like kind of flaky white fish so whether that's branzino uh something of the sort i think that prepared well I mean I love like lemon caper butter sauces white wine sauce stuff like that but just like a really nice piece of white fish either grilled well or broiled well or whatever it is um and I like that flavor profile with as too because the caper the acid the kind of cuts through it a bit next one I actually haven't had this in forever, but I was thinking of what do I like seafood-wise? Popcorn shrimp. (laughs) I would have never guessed that. How good? I mean, I love shrimp in general. I don't like shrimp in fried rice. That was, you know, something you mentioned earlier. I'm not a big shrimp fried rice guy, despite liking those two things individually. But popcorn shrimp is, to me, probably the best fried fish. You want to go to Red Lobster sometime? I'm happy to take you to Red Lobster for the Cheddar Bay Biscuits. Oh, we can do that. (laughs) I would love that. Red Lobster, that's a great experience. Um, so yeah, popcorn shrimp, which is a random one, but it's like, you don't have it that often when you do. I feel like it's like hot dogs. You don't have it often. It's like a very particular instance where you have it and you're like, man, why don't I do this more often? Cause this is delicious. Um, so the next one, it would either be lobster roll or crab cake um, because we're playing Baltimore. I'm going to go with the lobster roll. And uh, I'm not a huge like lobster guy on its own. If it's in an appetizer or if it's in another dish I don't think it's that great, but I have been to Maine and I have done some lobster roll tasting, and if you go there and you get it there and it's prepared the right way, it's absolutely delicious. And I do think it's a great seafood dish. And to round it out, another fried one. I do like fish and chips. I think uh, fish and chips. Yeah, I mean, again, fried fish. You're not going wrong. I, as you could probably tell, I like you know kind of flaky white fish. I do like salmon. I heard that was second in the draft. Way overdrafted. Terrible pick. Um way overdrafted but i think fish and chips is really good and since you know you're kind of mentioning things along with dishes surf and turf i think that's a nice uh dish to go with but if you do go to baltimore and you do get the true baltimore blue crab crab cakes they are absolutely fantastic they are definitely worth it i think every other crab cake kind of pales in comparison because those blue crabs so they're like a, it's a sweeter texture. There's only two pieces of lump crab on every single crab. My brother and I were like filming a show out there and learned about it. On every single crab, there's only two pieces of lump crab meat. So those massive crab cakes that you're getting, um, there's like 50 pieces in there. So you're eating like 25 crabs worth of, of lump crab meat. And so it's a really delicious, you know, uh, thing. It's just I can't choose it for this week. That is my guy, Mitchell
3: Schwartz, joining us in
6: studio. We're talking football and we're talking food,
3: two of Mitch's favorite things. Mitch, it's always great to have you in studio, my man. I appreciate you.
6: Same. I like talking seafood,
3: too. Uh, speaking of food, Rob, let's do a trivia mini game. 913 586 7610. 913 586 7610. You will not have as many chances this week to win a free pizza. This is one of the few you'll have this week. We'll tell you the trivia question next. Keep it right here, Mr. Drive.
0: You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison. Brought to you by Deepest Esqually Moore. Car, truck, or motorcycle wreck? Remember, Mike's got this. On your official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports
2: Radio. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, he's feeling it. I am Champion Dot. You never know when it's going to happen, but it's always your chance to win. Here's another edition of C-Dot's Trivia Minigame on the Drive.
3: Rob, I'm happy to tell you that T-Pain is going to be performing at halftime of the AFC Championship game. Can we just skip any of the commentary that they're going to give us? I know both teams got to run the ball. Both teams got to protect the ball. It's going to be a great second half. Can we just get to see the T-Pain performance during uh, halftime of the game? I am uh, very much looking forward to that. They announced all the things that they are doing. So they don't have a drum the way that the Chiefs do. They have a famous person deliver the game ball. That is going to be Michael Phelps. They're also going to have Ray Lewis and Ed Reed as legends of the game. And Jonathan Ogden is going to be their honorary captain. Baltimore is pulling out all the stops for the AFC championship game. And they're giving away rally towels. For every person who is in attendance, this is the first time that Baltimore has hosted the AFC championship game since 1971. Kind of crazy for a team that we have seen win two Super Bowls, but they did not host the AFC championship game in either one of those years. All right. If Jared Goff wins on Sunday, he will be the fifth quarterback to start the Super Bowl on multiple teams. There are currently four quarterbacks who have made a Super Bowl start on multiple teams. Can you name those quarterbacks? We are not giving any mulligans today. You either get it right. You know what? I'll give you two. If you get two, I'll give you a mulligan. That's it. The winner gets a pizza. The loser, we hang up on. Only three people wanted to play the trivia mini game today. Normally, people want the free pizza. Maybe the free pizza's gone out of style, Rob. Maybe nobody wants the free pizza anymore. I can't believe free went out of style. I can't believe that's the case. All right, Chris, the question is very simple. There have been four quarterbacks in the NFL who have started the Super Bowl for at least two different teams. Can you tell me who those quarterbacks are? Uh, I can think of uh, Peyton Manning did. Peyton Manning is correct. He is one of them. Tom Brady. Tom Brady is another one. Uh. Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner is another one. I will give one you a one clue one. for the last one. He started for the He's Patriots. Old one. I know he played Dallas and Denver. He played for the Patriots. Oh, Okay, uh, Craig Morton? Craig Morton is the correct answer, Chris. He puts you on hold. You know, we giving Chris two pizzas. We giving him two pizzas. Salute, Peyton, Tom Brady, Craig Morton, Kurt Warner, and Jarrett Goff. After Sunday's win on the road. Rob, I don't like when you and I are on the same page about picking teams. We don't have to be on the same side when we're like giving picks and stuff, but I don't want to be on the same side of you with picking teams that are going to win. You're also picking the Lions to win on Sunday. So I'm picking the Lions and you're picking the Lions. I'm betting on the Lions. I'm not even taking plus the seven, I'm taking them on the money line this weekend. I think the Lions are going to the Super Bowl. Okay, first off, it's fine we're on the same page.
4: Secondarily, you're late to the Lions bandwagon. I've been here for 700 days. Last year, I said they would restore the roar and win the North. I was wrong. I missed the playoffs by one game. But I believed. I had them as the one seed in the NFC when we did predictions with Sean Barber. No one I remembers was off this. by one.
3: No one. Rob, what you talk about in the office, if you don't say it on the air, then you don't get credit for it. You've never communicated this.
0: Not I have once. a
4: sheet in the back that says Barber Carrington Rob picks. A lot of highlighter on Rob's
3: picks because they were right, like the Lions text line 913-586-7610 i'm i'm unaware of this i i don't remember this i don't have any recollection of this i don't think that this has ever happened i don't think that rob has ever said this about the detroit lions if you guys can help clear this up i think i think rob's lying to us rob has lied to us countless numbers of time i think he's doing another fib I don't think he's telling the truth. I don't think he's ever picked the Detroit Lions. So if you guys uh, can uh, remind me of that, then I certainly would appreciate it. Lamar Jackson met with the media earlier today. He was asked what it's like to compete with Patrick Mahomes. Here's what he said. I don't like competing against him at all. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, he's a great quarterback. Um, definitely a Hall of Famer. Uh, it's not even, a, it's a new brand. He's definitely a Hall of Famer. Um, but it, it's just, I believe it's just, Two, two, two greats, um, up-and-coming greats just going toe-to-toe, you know, like a heavyweight fight, heavyweight matchup. That's, That's just what I see. If you look at the 90s in the NBA, Patrick, or excuse me, Michael Jordan stopped a lot of people from winning rings. I mean, Patrick Ewing's one of the great big men to ever play in the NBA. He didn't get one. Reggie Miller's one of the greatest shooters that the NBA has ever seen. He didn't get one. Penny Hardaway. I mean, Shaq, he had to go to the whole Western Conference. He had to get away from Mike. I mean, we already see that Pat is doing that to Josh Allen. Josh Allen's 28 years old. Some of you think that Josh Allen will never win the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow, he beat him once. He was unable to finish, but you know what, Burrow? Burrow's got one. This is a big game for Lamar Jackson, man. A really big game. First playoff game against Patrick Mahomes. I wouldn't want to play him either. I mean, this is just, this is how it goes. If you played in the Eastern Conference in the 2010s, you knew that you had to beat whatever team LeBron James was on, whether it was the Heat or the Cavs. If you wanted to go to the NBA Finals, you had you better beat LeBron or you better wait your turn. And a lot of teams just waited their turn. That's how it is in the AFC. Six consecutive years they have found themselves in the afc championship game think about that six what's so crazy is the bills have the streak for the most consecutive years in the postseason they're at five think about that every year that buffalo has made the postseason kansas city has gone to the afc championship game and put themselves in a position where they are one game away from going to the super bowl all the ups all the downs, all the disagreements, all the back and forth that we have had about the Kansas City Chiefs over the last few years or so, whether I wanted them to get a corner, whether you wanted them to do this, whatever it has been, we always find ourselves in the exact same place in late January that they are 60 minutes away from having a chance to go to the Super Bowl. And if you were one of those marquee quarterbacks, and this might be the deepest that quarterback has maybe ever been in the AFC when you think about it. When you think of Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, C.J. Stroud, I mean, we're talking this conference is 8-9 deep. If you want to go to the Super Bowl at some point in the postseason, you are going to have to beat Patrick Mahomes in the Kansas City Chiefs, and I don't see that stopping anytime soon. Coming up on the other side, I give you a stat that is the most encouraging thing that I've heard about the Chiefs in quite some time. I'll tell you what it is. Keep it right here. Mr. So drive.